Now, have you ever seen the film How Green Was My Valley? In fact, have you ever even heard of the film How Green Was My Valley? Have you ever heard of the book How Green Was My Valley? Well, it was a book that was released in 1939. It prompted a film released in 1941. That film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and it won four of them, including Best Picture. So why are we talking about it today of all days? Well, since it's Easter Sunday, that means that there could be no better time to explore the fairly strange story of how two veterans of the Easter Rising here in Ireland ended up acting side by side in this Hollywood blockbuster. And if that wasn't already remarkable enough, they were actually fighting on different sides of the rising. Donald Fallon is with us to explain all. Donald, good afternoon. Uh, how are you? Good to be here. Um, good to be here. How green is my valley? I have to be honest, I, I'd never heard of it before you sent in the notes for this slot. It might be the most forgotten about winners of the best picture Oscar ever. Many people hate this movie, How Green Was My Valley, and they've never even watched it. And the reason it's kind of unpopular in kind of movie circles is that it bet Citizen Kane to the Academy Award ah, for okay. Best Picture. And Citizen Kane is a masterpiece, but it's also a cult film. But, you know, in its own way, John Ford's movie, How Green Was My Valley, it was a masterpiece as well. And if you need proof of that, I mean, it's preserved in the U.S. Library of Congress. Uh, they store movies that they consider to be culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. And if you watch it, and if you glance over the credits uh, at the end, a couple of names jump out. There's Arthur Shields and John Loder. And I've always wondered if, while shooting this film, these men ever found the time to discuss their youth and the fact that both of them had been on the streets of Dublin, literally a few hundred metres from one another, at a defining moment in Irish history, as Pierce surrendered on Moore Street, bringing the rising to an end. One of these 1940s movie stars was a rebel, in the occupied block of buildings on, on Moore Street. The other one was a British soldier whose father accepted Pierce's surrender. Sorry, so sorry his, his father, John, John uh, Loder's dad, accepted the surrender. John Loder's father was General William Lowe. So it's, it's not only that these two men are on the streets of Dublin at the same moment in history. They are literally a few hundred metres apart from one another as the rising comes to its end. Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, that's that's wild. Uh, Dora, tell us about the two of them then. We'll start with uh, Arthur Shields. He is the one who I presume was inside uh, Moore Street in that occupied block. And he lived most of his life in the shadow of a brother who was more famous than he. A, a brilliant brother, William Shields. And that, that's a name that most people will have never heard before, but they know him as Barry Fitzgerald, which was his, his stage name. And Barry Fitzgerald actually won an Academy Award. He's an Oscar winner. He won it during the, the Second World War when they started making them out of plaster because of kind of wartime shortages. Okay. And uh, apparently he took the head off his own Oscar while practicing his golf swing in the house. <laughs> but, anyway, but the 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 Shields family, they were like a remarkable stage acting family. And Arthur Shields had been an actor uh, in the theatre of Yates and Gregory, the Abbey Theatre. Incredible institution. I mean, the, the Abbey, I always make the point, it was very modern. It was very, you know, it looked forward, but it also kind of harked back uh, to the Gaelic past. And if you look at 1916, I mean, you have actors like Arthur Shields, Sean Connolly, Helena Maloney, even the box office staff, Padder Kearney, fights in the Rising. So the place was dripping in sedition. And before Arthur could go and fight in the Rising, he had to stop off at the Abbey because his rifle, he'd very wisely hidden it under the floorboards uh, <laughs> off the stage, which was as good a place as any, I reckon, yeah, to hide yeah. a rifle in Dublin. But he serves in the GPO garrison. He's under the command of James Connolly. And it's a really weird turn because Arthur Shields' father was this great eccentric character called Adolphus Shields, but actually lured James Connolly to Dublin uh, in the 1890s to, to, to run the tiny little Dublin Socialist Club, which was a real disastrous endeavour, actually. Uh, according to one account, they folded in the snug of a pub in Thomas Street with eight members present. <laughs> but Arthur, Arthur didn't really share his father's politics. He was more green than red, but he found himself uh, in the post office beside James Connolly. So an incredible life, you know, from Abbey actor 
to, to GPO Rebel, later the Hollywood star. Uh, I love that image. It's very poetic uh, of someone hiding a rifle under the floorboards of the Abbey stage. It kind of gives a whole new dangerous meaning to the idea of treading the boards in case you accidentally knock off something underneath. Um, John Loder then is the other guy whose father accepts. Now you mentioned that Loder, he is actually John Lowe by birth. John Lowe, and he's born a, a world away from Arthur Shields. He was the plummy Herbert Crescent in Knightsbridge. Uh, in London, the son of a British army officer who'd been just about every... I mean, if Britain was at war with someone in the late 19th to the early 20th century, William Lowe was there. He was in Egypt, he was in Burma, he was in India, he was in South Africa, uh, and he was beyond. And he himself, General William Lowe, had been born in India. So, I mean, this family are just steeped in the British colonial world. And John Lowe, later John Loder, he's 18 years of age. He's born in 1898, so he's 18 at the time of the rising on the streets of Dublin, in his father's shadow. Absolutely remarkable. And and even more remarkable then that these guys, whatever about how they ended up in the same Oscar-winning film together, but the idea that that by sheer confluence they were only a few hundred metres apart at such a defining time. I love the. I, I think there's something poetic about there's something poetic about the beginning of the rising. You know, this idea of a school teacher standing outside the GPO reading a, a proclamation. But the end of it's remarkable. Uh, you know, as well, they're under intense fire. They kind of flee into the back lanes of Henry Lane, Moore Place, and kind of bash their way up the houses of Moore Street. And when they realise that victory is an impossibility, that, that's where the decision to surrender comes from. And, you know, it's a moment of very high emotion. You have young lads, teenagers, lads in their 20s, and women in their 20s to have this feeling of defeat, anger. You know, they're smashing their rifles furiously. Uh, and then you get this great moment where, where Patrick Pierce, you know, the school teacher, the poet, the barrister, walks up to a British Army barricade accompanied by Nurse Elizabeth O'Farrell and kind of formally surrenders. And in the great photograph of that moment, you have Pierce wearing his kind of slouched hat, surrendering to William Lowe. And beside Lowe, there's this really bored looking teenager, you know, with cigarettes in hand, who's John Lowe. A city has just burnt in front of him and you can't impress uh, this 18 year so, so this guy this John John Loder who's in the film is actually in that photograph the, so the photograph is, which is more right, famous because the nurse was doctored out of it for a few uh, years Elizabeth O'Farrell seems to vanish from the photograph yeah. uh, for whatever reason but uh, is it that they didn't want a woman pictured in such a, a, a moment of high drama sometimes it's contested that she kind of stepped back and tried to hide herself from the cameras but for whatever reason she's eventually doctored out of it by her boots mm. but you could still have John there cigarette in hand looking just <laughs> totally bored by the whole thing happening around him so clearly if he was then bored by the idea of a city burning literally while he stood on having a, a drag of a cigarette clearly he decided to go looking for other entertainment and, then, and goes into acting but but it doesn't turn out to be a, a very illuminating thing it doesn't set the world alight in his new job No he, he'd been at the Battle of the Somme which would put kind of hair on the chest of any 18 year, 80, 18 year old and then was a captured prisoner of war in Germany but really weird when, when the war ends he doesn't come back to Britain he stays in Germany and he decides that acting is this kind of path he wants to walk down and I would say, really, in the history of cinema, there's only two ages, even today. I mean, forget IMAX and forget colour. You can divide the history of cinema into, one, the silent movie, and two, the talkies. And okay. this kind of young, Easter-rising British Army veteran begins acting in Germany in what are really bad, forgettable, silent movies. Even the titles are awful. Madame Wants No Children, 1926. <laughs> you know, really <laughs> underwhelming, yeah. silent movies. Well, there's probably a quite, a, quite a strident social statement for 1926 to have a Madame Who that's, Wanted No Children. That, that, that's true in itself. But, yeah. I mean, these are really dull movies. But when the talkies come along, John Lowe kind of makes a beeline for, for Hollywood and okay. thinks this is it. But he rebrands himself as John Loder. And to be honest... It's a career that ebbs and flows, small parts in decent films, decent sized parts in films that flopped, 
B-movies, mostly, to be honest, uh, playing posh Brits. Yeah. Not particularly exciting, even if it paid the bills. Uh, which, probably given the uh, the extent to which he described his father's history, probably the idea of playing a posh Brit probably was one of those roles that came quite naturally to him. He was probably like the, the foppish Hugh Grant of his day. Um, you mentioned that uh, the general public have sort of forgotten or generally tend to loathe how green was my valley. What do the critics make of it? Oh, I mean, they loved it. And if you look at who's in it, it's the great names of the day. Walter Pigeon, Maureen O'Hara, uh, Roddy McDowell, Anna Lee. I mean, it's a blockbuster from the beginning. And I mean, it tells the story of the Morgans, a Welsh mining family, and kind of chronicles life in the South Wales valleys uh, amidst the decline of mining. But I mean, even modern day critics like it. And, and if, you, if you look at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 90% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is incredible. I don't mm. think anything has a 90% approval rating on there. And John Ford in general, John Ford did, did not make bad films so it's it, it's on it, it's on youtube in its entirety and let's be honest we all have the time to watch movies at the moment uh, and it's worth it's definitely worth having a look at yeah it's one sticking on the list um do we know by the way whether the the two of them whether um arthur shields and john lowe slash loader did they ever get a chance or do we know if they ever talked about their their shared moment in history i've always liked to imagine these lads on the set of a movie just casually chatting about the different sides they took at Easter week. Yeah. But to be honest, the evidence would suggest that by this time, John Loder was living a, a second life and he wasn't really talking to anyone about what he'd done before in his soldiering days. So I doubt Arthur Shields even knew he was in the company of an, another 1916 veteran. But then in the 70s, he lets it all out into the public and you know he tells the truth of his background. And he writes an autobiography, great name, Hollywood Hazar. And in <laughs> it, you know, the way he talks about Pierce is very moving, the end of the rising and it's evident that, you know, as he got older, you know, the events had kind of made a, a, an impression on him. And he recounts his father describing Pierce as a, a perfect gentleman uh, as well. OK, so clearly, even though he was unimpressed or nonplussed dragging on that cigarette at the moment of surrender, clearly it did all make a bit of an impression. He just wasn't letting it on. That's, that's kind of reassuring in a funny way. Uh, so he lives on to, to a fine old age. Whatever happened of Arthur Shields, Hollywood career? He lived, John Loder lived a great long life. I mean, he died on, on Stephen's Day in 1988, 90 years of age, which is absolutely incredible. Wow a good life by anyone's anyone stretch but he never got the Hollywood star you know he never became the, the great celebrity that he felt he was destined to be Arthur Shields the, the Irish volunteer died in Santa Barbara California in 1970 and I mean though he lived a shorter life he was the one who had the great career I mean he had a role in The Quiet Man she wore the yellow ribbon, the river, you know, really important films of the past. You'll find Arthur Shields there if you look hard enough. So, you know, both men were lucky to survive the Easter Rising and, you know, it was to the benefit of the film industry uh, that they did. Yeah, uh, remarkable stuff. You said, how green is my, was my valley? It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube in its entirety. So get stuck into us uh, well, over this weekend. Well, I guess like it's looking like we're going to be uh, in the current weekend mode for the next three and a, three and a bit weeks at least anyway. Well, so it's one thing to you, add to the you, list. If you finish Tiger King, get into How Green Was My Valley. <laughs> I don't know if there can be as many bombshells in How Green Is My Valley as there is in Tiger King. I've never known a series to drop in so many what the hell moments and they're so perfectly spaced out. Uh, that's a conversation for another time. Donald, as ever, thanks very much for that. Really fascinating stuff. Donald Fallon is a historian. He's the author of the Come Here To Be books and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast which you can find on the interwebs. 